Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Matt joins me. We have plenty in the Formula One world news-wise to discuss this week as we near the just over a month, I think five or six weeks-ish until the season finally starts. So let's start with the easy easy one, and I'm not going to do Matt's fancy pronunciation here, but to the surprise of absolutely nobody, Lewis ha- Sir Lewis Hamilton signed his contract renewal for one more year, and I don't know if you have anything to say about that or should we just continue on. Say something about Sir Lewis Hamilton? Yes, that. Oh, yeah. I will say the statements released by Toto and Lewis were both, uh, oh, I guess maybe more Toto's was, um, we'll say, ambiguous and calls into question maybe the future of Mercedes in Formula One, given, you know, Mercedes' behind-the-scenes shift in their culture and push for renewable energy and whatnot. So that was confusing slash intriguing. And yeah, one-year deal. I would still love to see Lewis race for just like a non-Ferrari or Red Bull team maybe one more time before his career ends. But just get him off the biggest team. It's getting a little annoying. Yeah, I I agree there. It's definitely interesting, and maybe, maybe this is a topic for the, another day, but all these manufacturers are talking about renewable energy, et cetera, et cetera, in terms of what that's going to do for motorsports in general not just formula one but indycar and probably nascar at some point and sports car racing i was trying to think of another form of racing and i almost drew a blank but we'll we'll save that for another day the one thing that i guess was of note and was rumored before the renewal came up but then did is not in the contract is lewis hamilton's ability to veto the second driver so what do you think? I, I know where I stand on this, but should that be something that is even like a a thought? Like, should should drivers be able to go to teams and say, hey, this is what I want, and it be okay for them to say, I'm going to go to another team then? What do you think I'm going to say? I, I don't know. Uh, listen, I don't know. I hope you agree with me. If not, we might have to end this episode early. You know I'm an old man shouting at clouds kind of person. So of, yeah, co- of course, I think that that a driver should never be allowed to veto a team decision when it comes to signing somebody, because, and I think it was Damon Hill who shared it on Twitter, and it was just a rumor, just a rumor. He said in his tweet, just a rumor, but obviously it gets people talking. And my thoughts were, is if you're a seven-time Formula One champion and statistically the greatest driver in the history of the sport that's been around for officially organized 70 years, but more, you know, more close to 90 years, you should not fear anybody, especially the Mercedes junior driver who's been driving for Williams for, what is it been coming on now, his third full year? Yes. So you should not fear George Russell. If you're Lewis Hamilton, you are the alpha dog of the whole pack, and you should be able to take whatever Mercedes throws at you. So... I'm glad that there's not a veto clause in there. I know there have been veto clauses in the past with a certain Schumacherness, but I am glad that there is not one in this contract because I think it should be up to Mercedes to put whoever they want in that second seed, and Lewis is just going to have to deal with it no matter who it is. Yeah, when I first found out that Michael Schumacher had that ability, 
whenever it was a number of years ago. I was very sad because I grew up a big Michael Schumacher fan. I wish this is one of those things that they'd add into like the sporting code. Like this is not allowed in a contract. Just just put it out there so that drivers and teams can't even make it a discussion point. Yep, I totally agree. All right, so speaking of kind of past events and whatnot, uh, you know, continuing on with my watch along on the Formula One past, I'm on the 2009 season, and I got I got thinking that you know next year obviously there's a cosmic shift in the landscape of Formula One, mainly with what the cars are going to look like and new rules and etc. And so, you know, obviously in Formula One, there's been some major shifts to uh, monocoque chassis, to uh, gearboxes that are automatic slash semi-automatic instead of a sixth gear shift. There's been groove tires, smooth tires, new chassis types, new suspensions, active suspensions. And then more so in the modern era, we had some major shifts with the mass damper. But the largest shift by far in recent memory, other than, you know, eventually again in 2017, was the change in the aerodynamics. So from 2008, the cars were a little wide, groove tires, and had all sorts of aerodynamic bits hanging off the car. And then switching to 2009, none of those aerodynamic bits were allowed anymore. Their rear wings got a lot smaller. Their tires became smaller, and they were no longer grooved. They were back to smooth tire. And then you got, you know, this, that. The next thing occurs, you got a whole bunch of changes. And eventually, in the next year, DRS. So, in 2008, teams knew that were going to happen. And everybody basically adapted their 2007 car, except for Toyota, which is a, a subject we'll save for another Shocking. another another episode on the horrible mismanagement of Toyota. Um, but so Toyota built a brand new car. Didn't help, obviously. And everybody else kind of updated their car. And about four rounds into the year, you could kind of tell, like, okay, we got a shot to win a race or two versus, like, you know what, let's pack it in and, and move on to our 2009 car, which is what Honda did. And Honda turned into Braun, and Braun came out of the gate swinging and eventually won driver and constructor titles. So my question to you is, we're going to be kind of in that territory again with this year. You got 2021, 10% downforce reduction and very small, but I'll say impactful rule changes coming this year, but nothing from the eye that is going to look too much different from the outside world. You know, you may have Mercedes come out and be battling with Red Bull right away. And you may have a team like Williams who or Haas who are just in the back of the grid. So if you are a team owner slash team manager this year, at what point do you at what point in the season do you kind of say, you know what? Developing the car this year is only going to get us so far. Let's pack it in and focus on twenty twenty two. Should I give a serious answer or should I just start making fun of the teams? You can accomplish both with one answer. Yes. Yes. If I am Haas and Williams and I know I have secure funding into the following year, get done the first race, I'm already looking towards 2022. We know Williams isn't going to score any points, most likely. Maybe they'll get lucky this year. Haas, probably going to be right down there at the bottom. Alfa Romeo, you know, those 
kind of lower tier teams are, are going to be at the bottom. If the whole car is changing, why don't you get a leg up? I mean, Williams is going to have, might actually have rich energy money. So we could have a lot of fun in the future with, with Williams, especially this year. So if, if I'm a mid tier team, maybe half to two thirds of the way through the season, when I start to see if, if I see that the top three in the constructors is not feasible, I'm looking towards 2022. I think top three or top four is like, you know, wherever that falls in the season, it, it and, and maybe there's like a, okay, it might be feasible, but I've hit 12 out of, you know, or I've, I've hit 14 out of 23 races. We're, we're done developing the car for the year already. So somewhere, you know, somewhere around there. I know that's a kind of a long wind, winded answer, but yeah. Well, my question was like two minutes long, so don't worry. On the flip side, for 2022, and I know this is a way too early prediction, do you see the teams that do well and develop their car this season starting on the back foot for 2022? Like Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, etc.? No, probably not. I mean, Mercedes and Red Bull are Mercedes and Red Bull for a reason. They're probably already kind of planning you know doing what they can behind the scenes to get ready for it so i would i be worried about mercedes in 2022 if they wait longer to develop a car than williams no not at all yeah because um 2009 was definitely weird you know honda sucked red bull sucked and there wasn't really a clear number three team in 2009 kind of like maybe ferrari a little bit but you know ferrari is still while they weren't blisteringly quick they're still ferrari you know they still got the skill but so in 2008 honda and red bull sucked and then immediately in 2009 it was clear that it was going to be one of those two teams that did it and then you know there was another major chassis change and aerodynamic change in 2017 but it i for reasons that i'll get to when i get to those seasons it was still mercedes red bull ferrari just like it had been yeah. for a while. So I'm not not entirely sure why 2016, everybody just came out and was business as usual. So and who knows? Maybe 2022 comes around and it's Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull again. But I do think there's definitely a window for some of these teams to uh, have a good shot at maybe moving up on the grid. I think you know the, the bonus money you get from moving up as constructors is, is super important, especially... If you're a McLaren who, you know, you sold part of your factory and I think you have a a new part owner or something along those lines, I forget, or they got new financing, et cetera, or all of the above, you might try to hang on to 2021, 2021 a little bit longer, but at some point you still have to worry about the future and, and not just 2022, but, you know, 2022 and you know, that entire next group of years with the new, you know, new everything. So at some, you have to still be logical about, you know, not screwing your future up at the same time. And as you know, what's going on in the current year. Yeah. And yes, a lot has happened since 2008, but that was the last time Ferrari won a constructor's title. So, you know, (laughs) they just did not seem to come up to speed as quickly as Red Bull, obviously in the, the major shift there. And then ever since then, it's been kind of trying to play catch up to Mercedes in the V six era. So 
Uh, anyways, just wanted to get your thoughts on that. So um, some more news to run through here. Portimao uh, is allegedly going to be the TBC spot on the schedule. We still have one race that needs to be confirmed. But there is a rise in COVID cases in Portugal. So that race is looking a bit in doubt at this point. And so Formula One is considering a second race in Bahrain again. I'm assuming you'd be completely fine with another outer loop race. You stole the words right out of my mouth. If we get a second Sakira Grand Prix, I will get up at three o'clock in the morning or whatever and whatever we need to do to to make it happen. I'm I'm all for it. I obviously would love to see Portimao on the schedule because it's a fantastic track, but I wouldn't be upset if there was a second Bahrain race. Yeah. As long as it's not the same normal layout. Yes, correct. And selfishly, I have a good feeling that the outer loop will be added to the next Formula One game. But if Portimao, if it's not on the schedule, will probably not be on the game. So selfish me wants to just go to Portimao. <laughs> well, it's a phenomenal track. It's, it was a really fun track last year. But selfish me wants it on the Formula One game next year, too. So let's hope that not only in Portugal, but around the world that, you know, with the vaccinations and whatnot, COVID goes down a little bit here and we can kind of get back to somewhat normal in fall. A weird one that I found on Motorsports Week was that, and it is relevant, uh, the Olympics the Olympic committee and I'm not an expert, unfortunately in the manner, but there are like 57 committees within the Olympics that (laughs) review how long your fingernails are and this, that, and the next thing. And one of the big ones, obviously as I'm joking, but one of the big ones is doping. And for those who don't know, Russia got hit pretty hard with some doping rulings against them in, I believe 2014 when it was in Sochi and because of that, they now have to run under neutral flag for several Olympics in a row. And this is actually now extended to Formula One, which is weird because, to my memory, Sergei Sorokin, I think, was the last Russian driver. And he got to run under a Russian flag. And then Haas's second driver in F2 has been able to run under a Russian flag. But anyways, the moral of the story is that... What about Evia? Oh, you're right, yeah. How could you forget my man, the torpedo? The torpedo has been running under the Russian flag. So he got out right in time then, I guess. Uh, because now, for the next two seasons, Russian drivers in Formula 1 are not allowed to run under the Russian flag. They have to run under a neutral flag, which means Haas' second driver will be running under a neutral flag this season. Not sure if you have any thoughts or if you care about that at all. Yeah, it's. I've been following it for Olympic hockey. I know the Russian team might not be able to participate and they're usually really good. And I think I saw the summer Olympics, like you can't have like a track and field team. It's just like individual people entering or something crazy like that. So I've been kind of in the loop on what's going on. I don't know how the FIA got looped in there. The article kind of made my head spin a little bit, but it's kind of ironic. We're calling him Haas second driver. And now he doesn't even get to say he's from Russia I feel like it's very fitting right now and otherwise not really much. It doesn't change much other than if he somehow got on, if he won the race, they they wouldn't be able to play the Russian national anthem and that's not going to happen anyway. So we can, we can move on. I'm going to get to a couple of these easier ones. Go ahead. 
Yeah, I mean, if the, if he somehow does want to race, I hope his national anthem is did 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 it, and then they just like you know call good. Um, Maybe we should just play like highlights of like the Xbox uh, oh races that you do. Oh God, that would not be good. Um, and then my only other comment is if this somehow impacted the Russian Grand Prix, that'd be fantastic. Like, oh sorry, Olympic athletes got caught doping, so we have to take your Grand Prix away from you. Like, oh no, not at Sochi. Oh, what a bummer! Oh, now everybody's gonna miss that race. I'd be losing sleep for weeks. Let me tell you, weeks. Oh, a whole week or just weeks, plural. Weeks, oh. multiple plural weeks. That sucks. All right. Anyways, so I'm gonna we're gonna hit a couple easy ones here, and then round it out with the longer winded one. There is a chance that we may see sprint races this year, says F1 CEO Stefano Domenichelli. He did say that reverse grids are completely off the table. Don't even think about it. It's done. But we're still looking at the so-called sprint race on Saturday. They're trying to figure out if there's a way it could be tested this year and and run this year and and they want essentially to try to think of a way to showcase f1 drivers and its new drivers and it's kind of hard to do so with the limited amount of testing and practice they get currently so i'm just gonna leave it open-ended there what are your thoughts i i don't i don't mind i guess uh i'm all for trying new things you know if if they do it for a season and just like well this sucked you can always revert back. There's there's no saying that we have to do this forever. So uh, if there's ever a time to try it, I mean, last year and this year would probably be it. You know, we'd hate to ruin something good when, you know, fans can come to the track and everything right in the world and whatnot. But in this day and age, let's try it. Who cares? If it's fun, it's fun. If it sucks, we don't have to do it again in 2022. And, I'll give F1 credit. They've been super receptive to fan feedback this uh, the last couple of years. Uh, obviously, there are exceptions like Haas is second driver, but uh, for the most part, they're a lot more engaged in what the fans are looking for. So, you know, I have faith that if it doesn't work out, they'll, they'll always, you know, can just revert back. Yeah, I mean, they tried no pit stops for a year and went back, so it can't be as bad as that. Yeah, they did the double. They did the double points for one year on the finale. And they afterwards are like, yeah, that was a bad call. So, I, I, yeah, I could see them, you know, going back if it doesn't work out. More good news. The <laughs> F1 track that was kind of proposed to be built in, was it in Rio, I believe? In Which was around. kind of, yeah, kind of agreed upon is no more. And the contract to keep the race in Sao Paulo is good to go and will now be known as the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. So yay for that. I don't think there's really too much to add there. Just a, it's a win. It's a win for, I think everybody. Yay environment. And now I'm in this weird phase where every time I see the word Rio, I think of money heist on Netflix. If anybody hasn't <laughs> seen, gotten there yet. have you ever seen the first, well, the first season is phenomenal. One of the characters named Rio. So uh, Mike, if you haven't watched it, I would definitely recommend it. Well, we just finished Homeland, so I need a new show to watch. So that'll money heist. That'll jump to us. The second part of this story is F1 is still looking for a second United States race. I've seen Miami mentioned, which 
is scary because I don't, I don't think that looks exciting at all. I we have this beautiful place in Indianapolis that would really like an an F one race and would be really cool. So, are you cool with the second U S race? Do you think it's a good idea? I know Coda hasn't necessarily made the best of races. Would you like to see Coda moved instead of a second U.S. race? What are your thoughts on that? Yes to a second race. For the love of God, Indianapolis, please, please. Or if not Indianapolis, pick a venue that we already have, for God's sakes. We have so many good tracks in America. You don't need to be inventing one in downtown Miami. No. We don't need, like, another Sochi or Vietnam. We have, like, you know, I know their facilities are out of date. I know. Please don't throw bricks at me. But we have Watkins Glen and Road America and what else we got? VIR, Petit Le Mans. Uh, well, Laguna Seca would be terrible. Yeah, I mean, especially, like, in Indianapolis is the one out of the ones that you mentioned that – I don't think would even need like facilities no. upgrades to meet. Yep, they got it. They're good to go. So it's like it's right there. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like yeah. you know what I'm. I don't use this button very often, but Miami is boring. It it it's like you know, cool for sponsors, cool for the broadcast, makes for cool images, but like, are we going to say that that's going to be the best race ever? And it could be. I, I, I could be wrong. It could be like the funnest race of all time. You know, I'd be willing to give it a chance. I'm just saying, if it comes to the decision makers, street racing is in my mind, and I've written about this before, is only going to get more and more difficult as we as a society continue to grow and have more access to social media. I, you're you're talking if you put a race in Miami, you're gonna get one person out there who has a fit, starts a social media campaign, and all of a sudden we have a Boston on our hands. So, and I, I don't know if that's just a New England thing, you East Coast New Englanders over there. I am not a New England. I am far from a New Englander. You're you are confusing me with my younger brother. You you can you can call him a New Englander. Does does Pennsylvania? But not I don't. Count? No, definitely not. We, what's the we cutoff like, like massachusetts um no i'd say a little bit like connecticut upstate you know kind of like new york okay well the state that be... you guys border yeah but i'm not anywhere near there so please don't, don't <laughs> no that's that's like calling me that's, that's like saying i i support rich energy like no we don't i don't want anything <laughs> you to have do a shirt from them Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. 
I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along The Planted Runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. Yes, but that's just for the laugh. Okay. I also don't know where it is right now. Somehow I've managed to lose it despite not leaving my house essentially in the past year. But could you imagine so, if it came to New England and they went to Watkins Glen? Then you would call yourself a New Englander. No. If one but of the criteria go. to get in the race is you had to admit you're a New Englander, you would do it. Okay, yes, I okay. would. Well, yeah, there you fair. go. That's settled. That very non-logical kind of leap we made there <laughs> is confirmed that Mike's a New Englander. One last thing, F1 is going to change the start time of the race to be at the top of the hour. So instead of being 9, 10 a.m., like it's been, as an example, the past handful of years or 2, 10 p.m., I guess, you know, whatever local time is, it is now going to be 9 a.m., 2 p.m., et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that pretty much makes zero difference because the pre-race goes for an hour-ish beforehand anyway, so... We'll move on to the most complicated off-season article that has come out in, like, four off-seasons, probably. And, Matt, you told me I had some homework to do when, when this came out. I and... tried. I'm not. I'm not. I, I Well, between, like, because, you know, you got the NASCAR thing somewhat sort of figured out. And this seems very NASCAR-esque. Uh, I don't have NASCAR. Uh... Listen, if you if you want to talk about NASCAR and start talking about charters, like I'm jumping out the window right now because I still don't understand that. Well, I don't, also I'm... the Daytona 500 is this weekend, so tune in if you want. Anyway, the research and development portion of Formula One is due for a change based on a sliding scale from the year prior result. I know I just said that, and everybody is like. What the hell did you just say? And yes, I read this article four times, and I'm probably still not 100% accurate in this. But just to give you a little background, the aerodynamic testing period is about eight or nine weeks each year. In 2020, so last season, the aerodynamic testing period was 320 runs 80 hours of wind on time so the car actually you know in the tunnel having wind go around it and 400 hours in the wind tunnel facility doing whatever it is you're doing in there which includes downtime in between runs etc 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 so that breaks down to about 58 hour days so 50 days of aerodynamic testing the Computer, uh, the computer portion of that with CFD is totally separate and really confusing and is not part of what I'm about to mention here. So we mentioned that I'm going to simplify the numbers to try to make this make sense. And if I do a terrible job, you can tell me I do a terrible job on social media and I will accept fault. Do it. He so just invited year, you to do it. So do it. 
Yes, it's okay. I understand this is confusing. So based on the 2020 championship results, Mercedes as the champion will only be able to use 90% of the testing allotted to them. So let's just pretend that 400 hours is 100 hours. Just some math can make sense in my head here. Now they only get 90 hours. On the complete opposite end, Williams, who finished dead last, gets 112.5%. So they get an extra 12 and a half hours of testing. All right, relatively simple there. This year is is, is not a huge, incre- uh, a huge decrease. I don't think 10% is going to affect Mercedes. I don't think... So the, the cutoff is in the middle at Alpine, so they get 100%, which means no difference. And then Ferrari right below them at 102.5%. So just a little bit more and so on and so forth. Obviously, we don't need to go through every team. You can see where they where they finished. It's it's a real small change. So not a huge difference, but obviously will help teams, you know, maybe even you know, Ferrari, Alpha Tauri, Alpha Romeo, those kind of lower to mid-tier teams. Where it gets interesting now i'm not going to read you the number exact number of hours i'm going to scroll down here to 2022 to 2025 is where it gets a little more interesting and i'll I'll get your your input here in a second so first place you know this year mercedes gets 90 percent of the 100 hours or 400 hours whatever it is the in 2022, the first place championship winner. So whoever wins the championship in 2021, in 2022, they will only have 70% of the allotted hours instead of 90%. And then in 75 for second place, the cutoff to be at 100% instead of fifth place drops all the way to seventh where it's you know flat even and then... Last on the grid is 115%, so just up a couple of percentage points on, on that end. But on the top end, it's it's a pretty big cut. So ignoring the, the lower scale teams here, Matt, if you are a Mercedes or a Red Bull and you get 20 to 30% less testing ability, is that going to impact what we talked about earlier in the episode of when you move your or you know what you do with your available testing absolutely it does and that that sounds i mean maybe not so much this off season but next off season that sounds pretty significant and i likened what ross braun had said because you know a majority of american sports the off season after you've had a bad season for whatever sport you like your team usually has a chance to rebound now it's not immediate so an example is, you know, NFL, the Bears usually suck. Uh, we're used to it by now. Uh, one year we suck so bad we got the third pick in the draft. So, you know, it's it's rewarding the team. The NFL draft is meant to reward the teams that suck. And, you know, we had the third pick, traded up to the second pick, drafted Mitchell Trubisky. So it's like, you know, hey, you got this new talented quarterback, should take your team to greatness because your team was so bad last year, but now you kind of have a chance to hit the refresh button and, and so on. And if you had a good year, you're picking later in the draft, but you know, you still might get 
a really good player late in the draft, and there's seven rounds in, in total, so you're going to find some diamonds in the rough. Uh, obviously, Trubisky never worked out, so our time was wasted. And then kind of putting that into Formula 1 terms, you know, I don't know what you what you said, like 115% next offseason for, like, p- probably Williams, Williams slash Haas. The 115%, that, that sounds great. That's going to be a lot of hours they can use doesn't necessarily mean that's going to mean anything they could waste their time they could go the wrong direction and something and vice versa you know maybe day two mercedes figure something out with their their testing and their aerodynamic testing and all of a sudden they can kind of use their next 30 or whatever days kind of fine-tuning things so it, it i like it it does reward teams who maybe struggled but it's not exactly like a get out of jail free card of okay now that you have this advantage you're going to be in the front of the grid next year it's like you still have to work at it you still have to fine tune everything you still have to find the right areas to improve but you're getting more of a chance to do it versus the teams that you know beat the piss out of you all season yeah and and definitely if if you're in the you know 7 to 10 range in the in the constructors championships you are already now definitely looking towards 2022 and onward because you'll take that however many percentage extra testing hours you get i'm i'm definitely all for if i'm williams at that point i'm definitely all for yeah go ahead well and i like good it's a good point because uh we always have hashtags here for football uh this year it was hashtag tank for trevor if you are the jets jaguars or I don't know who else was like really Bengals were really bad this year, but they already have a quarterback. But anyways, if you're like one of the worst teams, your fans want you to suck. You know, at a certain point, if you're going to be bad, you might as well just keep losing. So you get a high pick and draft. And there's Trevor Lawrence is coming out of this draft and he's, you know, Greek God of football. And I wonder if we're going to see that same situation. What's your Williams five races in the year tank for testing. What's up? Yeah. Say it's like tank for testing. If you're, if you're like, you know, qualifying dead last every race and not showing any signs of life are you going to tank the rest of the year and just go for the testing mileage so that's going to be another kind of facet or who's going to you know have the courage to try to work at it like is alpha romeo going to be resigned to eighth are they going to try to you know maybe jump up to sixth or are they just going to pack it in and tank so i don't know if we're going to start seeing tanking in formula one because of this but it's an interesting concept yeah it's very it's going to be very interesting especially in that 95 to 100% where testing is is normal of do we tank or do we try to finish a little bit higher in the standings and take that bonus money. I think that cutoff will be very interesting to follow and maybe we'll make some sort of chart about it this year so everybody can follow along a little bit easier unless Formula One does that for us. They're pretty good with graphics. Yeah, and... In football, if you tank, it's like usually the coach gets fired and uh, the GM maybe gets fired, or maybe that maybe the GM has been like, "All right, you know, we understand it's tough here, but now we got the first pick in the draft." You know, in Formula One, it's kind of like a different. I mean, we we discussed Red Bull and Honda both kind of taking 2008 off to focus on 2009, but in Formula One, it's a different beast too, where you have all these sponsors and commercial rights holders and whatnot that you have to satisfy. So, if you are Williams. And you have to go back to Sofina and say, like, hey, by the way, 2021 is going to be really rough. We're basically going to be taking the year off, but I promise we'll be good in 2022. Like, if you're the sponsor, do you believe them? Like, are you happy with that decision? It's, it's there's late. William's story will go ballistic. <laughs> oh, no. 
<laughs> there are layers to it though. Like, you know, you can't tank and risk your primary sponsor leaving you because that is a big loss for the team. I don't know. There's a lot of layers to it, but I definitely, I'm definitely on board with it kind of on face value here. It's going to be kind of interesting to see how it's implemented. And of course you got teams like Ferrari. You're going to try to find ways around it. Of course. Listen, there will be, a, there will, it will be very interesting to follow and, and how teams, you know, what loopholes they can find in the written rules and, and whatnot. And I'm sure it will be written about plenty, but we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Guys, thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week with more F1 news and musings. And let me know how I did at explaining this you article. Did great. I will. Proud of you. Put, oh, thank you. You're, you're making me blush. Yeah. I will put the link to the actual Fantastic. article in, in, uh, in the show notes so you guys can check it out when you are listening to the episode if you want. Anyway. Daytona 500 is this weekend. If you need your fix for racing, we will do some sort of preview or review episode on that. Jess and I will. So stay tuned and have a good one. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.